Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, it's good to be here today uh, with you. Everybody doing okay? All right, I'm glad to hear that. We're, uh, we're at the end of a study. We're actually in week 12, and so this is week 12 and the final week of our message and our study uh, in Paul's letter to the Galatians. So if you're a guest with us today or you're visiting, we're so glad you're here. I think you're going you're gonna to hear a message that's helpful to you, even though it's the concluding remarks to Paul's letter. Uh, over these past 12 weeks, we've kind of been systematically, verse by verse, walking through this letter, which, as we've been saying, is perhaps the oldest letter or the oldest document in the New Testament. So written closest to the resurrection of Jesus. And in it, uh, Paul, who was an apostle, Paul, who, as you're going to find out, eventually died for his faith, uh, he's writing to this group of churches in a region called Galatia. It was part of the Roman Empire. And he writes to this collection of churches, and there had been a message uh, that was being taught there after Paul had left, saying that you had to become circumcised, which is a physical surgery, and we'll talk more about why that was as we get into the message, but Paul's writing this letter to say, no, 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 don't do that, and here's why. And, uh, and so it's interesting because I've been talking so much about Paul, and my guess is that most of you have an image in your mind of what Paul looked like. You have this image of Paul who's just like this dynamic guy, right, who's changed history. Because even if, even if you've never been in church before, you've probably heard of Paul the Apostle. Like as a historical figure, he's a significant person. And, um, and so I was doing some study this week, and I stumbled onto a description of his physical appearance. And this isn't some guess, okay? This is from the Acts of Paul and Thecla. This is an ancient document from the time of the early church that was not included in your Bible, But the author of this particular letter describes Paul's appearance. Let's look at it. He was a man of middling size. He was short. (laughs) His hair was scanty. Nice way of saying balding. His legs were a little crooked and his knees were projecting. That's bow-legged. He had large eyes and his eyebrows met. He had a unibrow, okay? So his nose was somewhat long, a feature I find attractive. Uh, (laughs) and he was full of grace and mercy. At one time, he seemed like a man, and another time, he seemed like an angel. So in this description, he wasn't much to look at, okay? A little less Brad Pitt, a little more Danny DeVito, right? Like, (laughs) and (laughs) my wife sat down beside me the other day, and she saw this. I was typing this slide into the presentation software, and she read it, and she's like, oh, no. It's like, I, I thought of Paul as this, like, manly guy, you know, like, you know, getting knocked off his horse, like this warrior dude, and she's reading the description, I'm like, oh, no, that's ruining it for me, right? Because, because Paul wasn't an impressive character to look at, but there was something about his character, right? Sometimes he was like a man, sometimes he was like an angel. There was something about his heart, there was something about the way he lived and loved that impacted people, has impacted our world, in fact. Not only was he not much to look at, he also wasn't much of an orator, okay? He wasn't a great public speaker. You say, well, how do we know that? Because he said it, well, kind of about himself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he's, he's talking about his letters, and he says, I do not want to appear to frighten you with my letters. 
For they say, this is what people commonly said about Paul. They say his letters are weighty and strong. Like he sounds like a big man in his letters, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So apparently when he showed up and preached, people fell asleep because actually there's this story. There's a guy sitting in the window listening to Paul. He falls asleep, falls out and dies, right? And then Paul has to like heal him. Uh, I don't think I'm a great preacher, but I don't think anyone has fallen to their death while I'm sleeping or while I'm speaking. So that's... So, like, Paul, what's cool, cool about this, though, is Paul is clearly not much to look at, and he's not much to listen to, and so how does God use him? God uses his letters to change the world. Here's somebody that could put something to pen and explain the gospel in a way that literally has transformed the world. And, and we don't even think about it, because I know we live in a secular society, like Canada is not religious, we're not Christian, be clear about that, we are not but so many are legal systems, so many of the thoughts, like this idea of human rights that every person has, has value, that's not an evolutionary atheistic idea. That's a Judeo-Christian idea. We've impacted so greatly by the writings of Paul and the teachings of Jesus, we can't even begin to understand that we're standing on that very ground, even in our current secular society. But God uses this guy who's not much to look at, who isn't much to listen to, to transform the world through his letters. I just think that's so cool. And here we come to the last eight verses of this fairly lengthy letter. And if you're like me, when you get to the end of something, you start tuning out. Like if I'm at a movie and I'm watching a movie and I'm engaged, like the climax of the movie happens, they kind of resolve something with the characters, and I'm immediately like clearing my stuff, grabbing my coat, because the second I think those, those credits are going to roll, I'm going to sneak out of there as quick as I can. Maybe some of you are like me. Because I don't want to just listen to music and watch credits roll and then stand in line in the washroom and then get stuck in the parking lot, right, in the underground parking, waiting to get out. So I'm just like sneak out of there. But, but every once in a while, um, the director of the movie uh, will insert an additional clip during the credits or after the credits. And I find that extremely tricky and frustrating. <laughs> Because I'm like walking out with my coat and I hear something behind me and I turn around and there's another scene that's setting up something really important or resolving something I was wondering about. And, and the reason why I, I tell you this story is because I think that that's exactly what's happening here in Paul's letter. As he comes to the end of Galatians, he, as the person authoring this, is going to grab our attention once more and I think point us to something that, has, that we just cannot we cannot forget. And while I'm talking about directors and movies, we have something coming up next Sunday night. This is a little mini announcement, okay? Uh, next Sunday night, we have the VCAs. It's our first ever Volunteer Choice Awards. We're doing an award show. We're going to dress up. We're handing out awards. It's gonna, you get to be the celebrities. And so our volunteers, we're just going to honor them and love them, and we're going to have a lot of fun together. So if you're a volunteer and you haven't confirmed that you're coming, please do. If you're a volunteer and you haven't filled out the little survey we emailed everyone, Please do, because that's where you get to nominate us and tell us how special someone else is, and we're going to share that feedback with those people and celebrate them. So if you're a part of this church and you don't volunteer, you can still stop by in the lobby. I think there's an iPad there, see Rhea, and you can actually nominate someone who has served you and loved you, and we're going to share that feedback with them. So please, please, please uh, don't let this moment go by. And if you're a volunteer and somehow you didn't get invited, you are invited. Just talk to Rhea. We want to make sure that everyone who serves at our church uh, is there. It's going to be a ton of fun. So Anyway, so Paul, he's the director, and, and, he's, and he's finishing up this letter, and he's going, to, he's going to write something extremely, extremely important. Now, usually when Paul would write his letters, he would dictate them 
and a scribe would be writing them down. This is how, you know, it's like in the movies, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, the CEO would like dictate a memo and there'd be somebody on like an old typewriter typing it up. And then they'd look at the memo, read it through, yep, and they'd put their personal mark or signature on it to authorize this letter and they'd send it out to everyone. You're familiar with the idea. Well, this is what would happen. Paul's, you know, sitting in his jail cell or wherever he was, and he's dictating this letter, and the scribe is writing it all out on parchment, and this entire thing happens, and then at the end, Paul would often grab the pen in his letters and say, oh, greetings to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, grace and peace, Paul. And he would put his personal mark and signature and a couple greetings at the end of the letters to authorize it. So the people receiving it would be like, yeah, that's his handwriting. He's referencing me. That's from Paul. It's not some sort of, it would authenticate it. And in this particular case in Galatians, the reason why I'm giving you all this backstory, this is important. Here in Galatians, Paul is literally going to grab the pen from the scribe and he's going to finish the letter himself. This is significant. Here's what he says. Chapter 6, verse 11. Paul writes these words. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. That's pretty cool. Uh, Over the centuries, scholars and theologians have debated about what the significance of this verse is. Some initially thought, well, Paul wrote the whole letter with his own hand, and he was saying, look at how large the letter is. And then over time, people were like, no, that, that's not a true interpretation of the original language, so that's not, that can't be right. So they kind of threw that idea out. And then others said, well, he's writing with these large Greek symbols because he wasn't proficient at the Greek language, and so he had to go slowly and make big letters, which doesn't make sense because Paul grew up in a Greek city, was highly educated, he that doesn't seem to hold water either. Others said, no, it's because he had eye trouble. Paul was blinded or was nearly blind or had some sort of eye disease. In the third chapter of this letter, he says, you would have gouged out your own eyes for me. And so people go, well, he must have had some sort of eye problem and people really felt bad for him. The, the description of him said he had big bulgy eyes, so I don't know. Maybe he had lizard eyes and I don't know. So there was something... But to me, the best interpretation of this, given we don't have all the facts, would simply be that Paul is taking the pen to send a personal note and to to highlight how significant what he's about to say is. And the fact that he references that it's his own hand and that the letters are large, which they would have seen, obviously infers, pay attention. When I'm sending an email, what I often do, if there's a piece of that email or text that I want people to pay attention to, I put it in all caps. (laughs) People tell me I'm yelling at them, and I go, no, I'm just highlighting the word because I can't bold in a text. And they go, no, you're yelling at me. And I think, well, I like yelling at people, so it's fine. And so, but the idea of making something all caps is to be like, pay attention to this. This is important, and Paul is going to do that, which is odd. Because we're at the end of the letter, and he's going to kind of recap a few things and close it out, and you're like, okay, well, what's so significant? Well, I think we're going to see this morning how significant what he's about to say is. And so Paul's literally like, hey guys, all caps, look what I'm saying to you here as I close this letter with my own hand. Now, quick backtrack for those who haven't been with us. Throughout this entire letter, Paul is holding up two worldviews, two ideas of how people can be right with God. One of them, which he calls the true gospel, the one by which all men can be saved, is this idea that that we are sinful, that we have wronged God, and that there's this separation between us. And here's the idea. How do we get right with God? How do we atone for our sins? He says, here's how it happens. God, through his son, Jesus Christ, does it for you and for me. That's the idea. That he does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. 
that he atones for our sins, that he makes a way for us to be right with him. That's God does it all. This is an incredible idea that hadn't really existed in other world religions, and so you have this amazing idea. And then he contrasts that with the typical idea of religion of which almost every religion that I know of in the world subscribes to, that you become right with God through what you do, through being a good person, through giving stuff, through sacrifice, through whatever it is, through worship and all these types of things. And so he said, basically, God does it for you or you do it for yourself. And in the end, isn't that the decision every single one of us has to land on? Like, which is it? Am I, am I right with God because of what I do or because of something he did? That's the overarching premise of this entire letter. And now as he comes to the end and he begins writing in all caps with his own pen, he starts comparing motives. He's going to compare the motives of those saying, you've got to keep all these rules and be circumcised, and then he's going to compare his own motives as he shares the true gospel. Here's what he says, first of all. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. That's a really fancy way of saying they want to impress people and look good. And I think there's a little bit of that in all of us, right? We want to believe stuff that everyone likes. We want to impress people, live in a way that everyone accepts us. And he's like, that's essentially... This message they're teaching is really about them, and they would force you to be circumcised. As we said, that's a surgical removal of skin, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, that doesn't make sense to us, but I think it will today. He says, they're saying you have to be circumcised, but the reason why they're saying that is so that they don't make trouble for themselves. So they're, (laughs) they're trying to avoid trouble and look good. That's their motives for their message. And I think you have to wonder, whenever you hear somebody saying a message, like, what's the underlying motive? Like, what are they trying to get? And Paul says they're trying to look good, and they're trying to avoid trouble. Verse 13, here's his, here's his proof. For even those who are circumcised, so people who have gotten this surgery saying they're trying to obey God's law and please him, <laughs> he says they do not themselves keep the law. So they say they're doing it to keep God's law, but then they're breaking all his other laws. And he's like, so obviously that's not their real motive clearly, but they desire to have you circumcised so that you, so they may boast in your flesh. They just want you on their team. They just want more people doing what they're doing so they can feel good about themselves. That's the motive. Okay. Like, is this really significant, Paul? Why are you writing this in big letters? And honestly, um, think about it. A lot of the beliefs that we hold of course, we believe things that we're taught from our parents. We believe things we learn in high school and college and university. We believe things because we've experienced them. All of those. When you really think about why do I believe what I believe in any area, you have to go, you have to go digging pretty deep to figure out where that came from. But also, there's often an underlying motive for why you believe what you believe. And most of us never dig deep enough to figure out what that is, right? Often we believe something that allows us to do what we want to do exactly what these people were doing. It's like, I think I'll choose this idea of God because it allows me to do this and to be that. And so we kind of formulate our own idea of God and we kind of formulate our own beliefs, not through careful study, not through deep thinking and prayer, but often through, hey, what belief system gets me what I want? And we all do that. And Paul says, that's, that's what these people are doing. And then he's going to talk about his own motives. Check this out. Verse 14. But far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, there's nothing in this for me. This isn't about me. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ, and that is the thing, the center of my faith, 
I don't care what anybody thinks. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which, he says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In another letter, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In other words, all I care about is the cross. What Jesus, what God did for me through his son on the cross, that's the thing that matters. That's the thing I'm building my life upon. That's the rock I'm standing on. My personality, everything is going to go flow through this idea of connection with God through Christ. That's, that's his argument. Now, we can read this, and let's, uh, let's cross-examine Paul, right? Hey, Paul, um, how do we know that you're not just saying that to get something good for yourself? You know, you're, you're doing the preaching circuit. You're bringing in the cash, you know, traveling televangelist. And, and, and we're looking at Paul going, how do we know your motives are pure? And he looks at us, and again, I'm speculating, you know, stop looking at the unibrow. And Paul could say, look at my back. And he could lift up his, his robe. And you would see lash marks because Paul had been whipped 39 times just like Christ had been whipped. And Paul had been stoned literally to the edge of death or death itself. Paul had been run out of town. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been flogged. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been spit upon. He'd been cursed. Death threats. And you're thinking, why would anybody want to kill Danny DeVito? Like, this is nice little man that's saying, here's the way to God and everyone's trying to kill him. It doesn't make sense, does it? Like, think about it. In, in this society that Paul lived in, there were gods everywhere. There was, there was hundreds of religions and temples, and people worshipped Marduk and Baal and everything else, the Roman gods and the Egyptian gods and the, and the Greek gods, and it's like, and here's this little guy going, hey, Jesus is God and the cross, and everyone's trying to kill him. You have to wonder why. I think we're going to discover why. What Paul says next, okay, and don't put this verse up yet, because let me describe. This verse that I'm about to read, that we're going to read together on the screen, it's nuclear. It's nuclear. And yet we're going to read it, and you're probably going to be like, why is there an image of a nuclear bomb behind this verse? And there is one. It doesn't seem nuclear to me, but I'm going to explain to you why it is. Throw that verse up there on the screen for us. Paul says this next, and this is why everyone was trying to kill him. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That verse is why everyone was trying to kill him. And you look at it and you're like, circumcision? Who cares about circumcision? And like, isn't that what he's saying? It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not circumcised. New creation, you're like, we're all going like, that's cool. Let me explain to you why this was so heretical. Why everyone was trying to kill him. For a Jewish person living in the first century circumcision, this physical mark on their body, literally was the sign of their national identity. Like, it marked who they were. We're descendants of Abraham, descendants of Isaac or Israel. We are God's people. That's who we are. It was their identity. Here's what I've noticed in life. If you attack somebody for something they did, they're, they're angry. But if you attack somebody because of their identity, look out. Look out. And what Paul says is circumcision... Or uncircumcised, it's nothing. It's not valuable. It's not important. And every Jew in every city he went to tried to kill him. And here's why. It was distinctly linked with their national identity. Throw that image of the flag up. It was as if Paul was burning their state flag. Now, he wasn't. In his letter to the Romans, he explains the value of the Jewish nation and their history and how God used them and they have a particular place in God's plan. But he was saying, circumcision is not the thing that matters. And they're like, oh, yes, it does. You're attacking our national identity. 
And when he said circumcision doesn't matter, he was attacking their religious identity. So it's as if you came into a heavily Catholic community and you defaced their statues. I got another image up here from the next one, right? And if this happened in a Catholic community, pitchforks would be coming out. How dare you deface the thing that we trust in? If you went into a Muslim community and you said, you know, Allah or Muhammad, they're irrelevant, you better get out of there quickly. Like when you attack someone's identity, it doesn't matter what it is, people get angry. And Paul's coming into town, he's rolling into town, and he's like, all these gods, irrelevant. Your Jewish national history, the circumcision, your religious identity as children of Abraham, it doesn't matter. Yes, no, it doesn't matter. All that matters is what God does in your heart. And they're like, okay, out come the pitchforks. And it's why they wanted to kill Paul. Now, consider this. Because you can take that image down. Circumcision, of course, doesn't matter in our culture and context. That We don't really care about that. But imagine if Paul were to stand here today and say, your national identity as Canadian, American, whatever your background and nationality is, is it's nothing. People would start to get uncomfortable, right? And imagine if he said, you know, your religious identity, your Lutheran, Brethren, Catholic, Anglican, Episcopal, Pentecostal, whatever denomination or name you'd put on yourself. He's like, oh, that's nothing. Get a little uncomfortable in here. Is anybody, is it warm in here? What if he said your ethnic identity is not the thing that matters most, whether you're Latino or African American or Caucasian or you're Eastern European or whatever it is that your ethnic identity is like, oh, that, that's nothing. (laughs) People start leaving the church. Your sexual identity, that's not the thing you build your life around either. Well, that's not, a, that's not very popular in our culture today. <laughs> Be careful what I say. Uh, your political identity, you know, liberal, conservative, Green Party, whatever. Like, it's like as if the, these, like, these things that we rally around and find our identity in, Paul's like, all of that is in the big scheme, it's nothing, it's irrelevant. And that makes people angry. There's an exclusivity to Paul's message that enraged people everywhere he went. And, and, and we could say, well, that's just Paul. Paul's just this little stubborn, arrogant guy going, I'm right, and you're all wrong. The cross is everything. All these other things are nothing. And we go, okay, Paul, you arrogant little man. But no, Jesus said the very same thing. Jesus himself in John 14, verse 6 says this. Notice this. He says, I am the, 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 the way. That's a very singular. That's very exclusive, isn't it? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. By the way, he says, I am the way. That's why it's pathway church and not pathways church because there's one way. And that name was given to our church because we, from the beginning, wanted to be a church that preached Jesus. That's, that's our focus. We're not a revival center. We're not a healing ministry. We're not a Christian school. We're a community and a church that teaches that Jesus is the way. That's the heart and center of everything we do. Everything else flows out of it. He's the way. And so he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then notice what he says next. This is so exclusive. And yet it's so inclusive. Here's what he says. No one comes. No man, no woman, no child. No super grandma, 
no amazing aunt, no uncle, no benefactor. No one comes to the Father, to God, to the Creator, except through me. Now that statement is both extremely exclusive. I'm the only way. Like all these other gods, all these other religions, out. That statement is why they wanted to kill Jesus. (laughs) Because it was too exclusive. And yet it's extremely inclusive because you're going to find out the gospel is for all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all genders, all everybody who comes to Christ comes to God. And, but the message is so exclusive that people wanted to kill him. And so um, Paul says this. Go back to verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul, for himself, had discovered the one thing that mattered most. And you can disagree with them. People have for centuries. You can disagree. Oh, Paul, you're wrong. Your theology's wrong. This idea that, that faith in Christ is the only way to God and that, that this is the gospel. Like He could have been totally wrong. But here's the amazing thing. Paul believed so firmly in what he is saying that he was willing to die for it and suffer for it. And if you really want to know what somebody believes, you just watch their life for a little while. Like when things get hard, that's when you discover what you believe. I tell this to my children all the time. I'm like, guys, you know, it's great. You know, you believe what your mom and I believe, but you need to, you need to examine these ideas. This needs to be your faith. And one day you're going to go off to school. You're going to get into relationships with other people. And what you believe will be challenged a hundred different ways. And that's when you discover what you really believe. That's when you, faith is tested. And it either produces endurance or it withers away. And Paul's like, the cross is everything for me. My nationality, uh, everything about me, all of the money, my education, all of it. It's, it's all secondary. Now, is, let me ask you a question. Is, is your nationality important? Yes. Yes. Is it okay to be Canadian and be proud to be Canadian? Of course it is. Is, is your, your, the status of your relationship, is that, is that something that's important? Yes. Is your, your ethnicity important? Yes. Is your education important? Of course all those things are important, but those are not the center of your life. And everybody has a center. Right? Everyone has the thing that our entire life flows out of. Paul says, for me, it's the cross. That's the thing. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to stand on that rock, and everything else I think and do will flow from that. You can choose a different center. Your center can be your kids. Your center can be your marriage. Your center can be your career. Your center can be your ethnicity. You can choose exactly what you want that to be, but that's going to be the bedrock you stand on. Paul says, for me, it's the cross. Because it's the cross, this place of death, I've died to the world and the world has died to me and I live a new life, a new creation because of this. He continues um, in verse 16 to say this. Remember, He's still writing in all caps, (laughs) large letters. Like, this is super important. He's finishing the letter, and we've got a few verses. He says, and as for all who walk by this rule, what rule? What rule is he talking about? He's talking about this rule of boasting in the cross, of making the cross of Christ the center of our lives. He's like, whoever does that, whoever makes the cross, And what God has done for us, the foundation and the rock on which they stand, he says, all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the, and I wish I had time to dig into this, the Israel of God. Throughout the Bible, you hear about the God of Israel. 
which talks about God and the relationship he had with the Jewish people, descendants of Abraham. And then you hear about the people of God and you hear about Israel as a nation. But here Paul flips all the words around and he calls them the Israel of God. And Israel means they that wrestle with God. And and so he says, the people who put their faith in Christ and are reconnected with God, they're God's people when they come to the cross. So he's, he's, he's spinning these words around. It's really powerful. And so because of this, because of this, when we place our hope and our faith and our trust in the cross of Christ and what God has done for us, not in what we do for ourselves, we become the true people of God. There's a circumcision of heart, a transformation inside, and God removes the sin nature and puts in us a new spirit. These are all images from the Old Testament. It's what God really wanted. So the physical surgery was actually like a a foreshadow of the transformation of heart that would happen when people put their faith in Jesus, if that makes sense. And so, um, and so we have access now to God. This is, the good, this is the good news. You and I, as we prayed earlier in the service, we have access to our Heavenly Father because of the cross. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we now have a relationship with God. And here's the, here's the thing. Satan will come to you, and I, you're thinking like Satan, pitchfork, but I'm just saying like these ideas will come to your mind that say you're not worthy to approach God. Maybe you've experienced that. You're like, I should, I should go to God with this, but I failed again. I didn't do what I should have done. I did what I shouldn't have done. And, and so there's this whisper in your ear, which is really the message of Satan saying, you are unworthy, right? There's this accusation that comes to us, but Here's the beautiful thing about this gospel. Access to God is not dependent on my faithfulness. It's actually dependent on his faithfulness. So when Satan comes to me and is like, hey, you are not the husband you should be, I'm like, you're right. But since I'm not, instead of hiding from God like they did in the garden, I'm going to run to him. Because my acceptance by God isn't based on what I do or what I have done. It's based on what he has done for me. When we understand this message that Paul is, is talking about, we run to God instead of from him. Now, God would never have set up a system like this unless he wanted us to come to him. You know, God doesn't want me to come to him. I'm a sinner. No. He set it up so it didn't depend on you, so you would come to him because he loves you. And when we understand the gospel correctly, when we fall short, when we mess up, when we fail, what we know to do is right. We run towards the God of heaven and not away from him. That's one of the ways that you can understand and know that you actually have embraced the true gospel that Paul teaches. You're running to God because you're so confident that it was never about you in the first place. And so, access to God is not dependent on my faithfulness, but upon his. Here's where he finishes in verse 17 and 18. Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. (laughs) Like, enough. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus and he really did. I mean, you talk about suffering. This guy, this guy suffered a lot. And he closes out uh, the chapter with a kind of a typical greeting at the end. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul just kind of finishes by pointing them to this gospel. God has done it for you. It's not what you have done. All these external things that we put our hope and trust in, they're irrelevant. The thing that matters is our confidence in the cross and what God has done for us. He reminds us of the price that he's paid. 
I'm kind of convinced, I know this isn't cheerful stuff, but I'm kind of convinced that as we move forward in the next decades, there will be more persecution on the church, simply because if we believe this message that Jesus is the only way, people are not going to like that message. Even though we're not saying Jesus is the only way, kill everybody else. We're not saying that. We're saying Jesus is the only way, and because we're trusting in him, we're going to love and serve everyone else. It's not really a scary idea, but it will scare, it will scare people because of its exclusivity. And so Paul just reminds them, hey, I've paid a price, but the price is worth it. Grace and peace to you. Amen. Amen. And so I think that's a great place to end and to pray together. Um, I hope this message series has been helpful to you. I, I hope that because we've hit the same ideas over and over again in different ways that maybe people in this room, I know it's, it's changing me, that your confidence in God would be so, so, so much strengthened as you go, it's not about what I do, it's about what he has done, and you run to God. If, if we were a church of people who just ran to our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus had done, instead of running away, we would change, and we would change the world. True. So that's my prayer for us, and uh, let's pray together. Lord, I'm so thankful for the words of Paul, this man that was apparently not very impressive to look at or to listen to, but his words have, have pierced their way through the centuries. And this simple message of faith in Christ, the significance of the cross, that you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We can't talk about it enough. We can't think about it enough. We can't thank you for it enough. But when we receive it, we become new creations. We're changed. You change us. And so, Lord, I pray that for each of us that are here today or listening by video, that God... Uh, through this message, our hearts would be changed, that we would truly be the Israel of God, and that our faith would not be shaken when difficult times come, but that our faith would be rooted and grounded in the rock that cannot be moved. So Lord, I turn my heart to you. I pray that we as a community turn our heart to you and run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.